Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Gail and I are coming to you late. I was ill last week. I could barely talk. My throat was so sore. So I had to wait till I bounced back from that. And we just don't have very many times in common. Right. And I was traveling. I was in the city of sin on work travel. So it was one of those weeks where we just couldn't find too many compatible times. But here we are to discuss trucks, trust exercise. And before we get into that, you know, we'll catch you up on what we've been reading and talk about July and August paper books paperbacks because I think there's some some good stuff out there so let's just so if you're not yeah if you're not interested in the trust exercise discussion or you you still want to read it because there will be spoilers this time we will give you a heads up before we launch into the trust exercise discussion but there'll be plenty of other book related content until we get there so stick around for the first half of the show and then if you want to Bail on the um, book club. We'll let you know when it's coming. It's been a while. Nicole, tell us, what have you been reading? I feel like I'm reading the same things. Remember, I was just (laughs) slowly downloading several books. I'm still reading Three Women. I'm in the last 25% of it. I finished Trust, Trust Exercise, which is really interesting. I'm looking forward to talking about that. But And then I forgot that I was reading Three Women. (laughs) And I started, I was like, oh, I finished trust exercise. That means now I get to read something that I've really been wanting to read. And so I started reading our next book club pick, The Travelers by Regina Porter. And I really liked it. And I was so sad because I had to go to work the other day and I had run out of the the apartment without my book. I was so sad. Oh, the worst. Because yeah. it was, I was really good, that. you know, especially when it's it's really good and you're into it and you're using that whatever commuting time you have to get into your book. I was so sad. I think I texted my mom and I was like, I I walked out of the house and left my book. (laughs) Mm. I hate that. It's just so frustrating when you're sitting someplace, just knowing all how much you could be reading and all the time you're wasting because you don't have your book with you. And then I think I remembered that I had a digital copy of three women on my phone. So I think I read that that day. And then I'm still listening to the year of the runaways by Sanjeev Sahoda. I had gone to something a little bit lighter. I had started reading because of Miss Bridgerton by Julia Quinn, because I did, I think I was reading something heavy at the time that I started the year of the runaways. And I just didn't want to be listening to something heavy too, but I don't know. I quickly went back to the year of runaways and I'm just so sucked in. You, yeah. You talked about that on the last show. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot going on. So I have a, a lot going on. Has three women changed for you in any way since the last time we talked about it? Some of the points are interesting. I think because I I was reading it with tr- trust exercise and sexuality plays such a large role in that book it was interesting to look at some of the things that happened with the teenagers and the visiting, the visiting professors and students from England. They were very interesting to consider in combination with each other, the the messages that they are presenting. uh, I think they're really similar. Mm. So I might talk about that a little bit more in the book club, you know, how we view teenage sexuality, how teenagers view their own sexuality and their relationships, some that we might consider inappropriate, how they feel about it at the time, and what are the factors that maybe make them look look at it differently. Hmm. Okay. Trust inter- exercise was kind of interesting because it was, when I was reading it, I felt like it was, I felt like it may, it was making the distinction and saying, you know, this is art that you're reading. The story was carefully presented and there's stuff going on. Of course, we'll talk about it later, but. Mm, that's a very interesting analogy that you're drawing with three women. Hmm. 
Yeah, I'm reading a lot of, I'm finding I'm reading a lot of things that are dovetailing with each other nicely, like The Travelers, which is Regina Porter's novel, loosely about two families, one black and one white, and how they interact interact in both in the South and in, in areas of the North. Like it goes back and forth between like New Hampshire, some of it, a little bit of it is set in Boston, New York. And I forget the Southern town that's involved in the stories, but it's really interesting. And it, it picks up on a lot of other things that I've, that I've read my life in numbers, which was the, the story about the woman whose mother ran numbers in Detroit, which touched a lot upon the great migration and black is the body, I think by Emily Bernard. And it's always interesting to read books that I feel like are kind of in conversation with each other, Mm -hmm. just depending on the time that they're talking about. So that's been really good. All right. Well, I'll give you the update on what I've been doing. So I finished trust exercise, which we will discuss today. And I also finished the book that I mentioned to you. I was reading for my humor requirement for the every day I write the book reading challenge. That is everything is just fine by Brett Paisel. I think when we last spoke, I had just started it and I finished that one and it's, um, Definitely was not as funny as I was expecting it to be, considering I picked it as my humor book. Uh, It actually was kind of depressing in some ways. This is the book about the group of parents of a Beverly Hills soccer team of 12-year-old boys, 11-year-old boys, something like that. And all the parents are behaving badly, and most of the book is told through emails that are exchanged among the team and then among individual members or parents on the team. And it's just like, you know, everyone's misbehaving and none of the marriages are on sure footing at all. And everyone's got stress and secrets they're hiding. And it's actually like not really that funny of a book. I mean, there's definitely things that you laugh at and there's a lot of making fun of these characters and certainly things you recognize if you've ever been on group email chains like this. But it it was not, I wouldn't say it was like a laugh riot. So... Anyway, it was a quick read and it's done and and I can at least tick off that box because it was certainly marketed as humor. Is it a dark humor, do you think? Yeah, it's definitely a dark humor because lots of dysfunction going on. Um, But I would say by the end, it was not funny at all. I mean, it was poignant more of anything. It was, you know, more about like these people trying to communicate with each other and connection and loneliness. It was much more about that than I think it was actually like a true satire. I think it started out as a satire. And then maybe the author just had sympathy for her characters and wanted to like sort of delve into their motivations rather than just making fun of them. And as a result, it just didn't feel like, I just want to call it like a humor book. But anyway, that's my humor book for the the (laughs) challenge. And let's see. So those two are done. And then I started um, The Bookish Life of Nina Hill, which is a, a light read about a woman who works in a bookstore and is very much an introvert with lots of kind of routines and, you know, things in her life that she likes to do. And then, of course, everything gets kind of upended and people come new people come into her life and sort of cause her to reevaluate her routines and stuff like that. So, um, that I, I just started that yesterday and I was on a long flight back from Vegas and I got through like a third of it. So that's good. And then I'm actually listening to a book that's a little bit similar. Like you were talking about kind of reading books that are, have commonalities or common themes. I'm reading a book called how not to die alone by Richard Roper. And it's about a guy living in London who, for his job, he looks up next of kin of people who have died without any obvious family. 
So he has this kind of depressing job where he's trying to bring dignity to people who have died. And I guess he's made up that he has a wife and kids that he doesn't have. And so it's all about his workplace. And are they going to find out that he is actually living on his own in this apartment rather than in this fancy row house that he said he lives in with his wife and, you know, successful kids and stuff. So it's also about someone who's kind of a little bit lonely and a little bit stuck in their ways. And I'm sure someone will come in and shake up his life too. So that I'm doing that on audio and on Nina Hill I'm doing in print. So I think that catches us up. Yeah. Try to think if I forgot anything. What we've been reading. Yeah. You said that what you finished, I think the only book that I've, I've really managed to finish is trust exercise. I'm, I'm close on several. Yeah. So it'll be the next time we speak, I'll probably have five that I finish because I'm just 20% more here, a little bit more listening there. And I'm definitely listening to the runaways more quickly than I have because we're in the heat of summer now and I'm in, in, walking places so I'm getting a lot more audio time in. Mm-hmm. I think it was raining a lot too earlier. And now we're kind of out of that. So lots of good audio time. And I I find that I think I like most the mysteries on audio. So I need to get some good mysteries going. And I think I've downloaded a bunch of, had downloaded a bunch of literary fiction the year of runaways was one of those, but I am really enjoying that on audio. And it's about, you know, a group of Indians who have migrated to London and they're living in this big house. Uh, There's like 13 of them in this house and each of them has different stories and places that they have come through because of course, India is a vast place And so many of them are living together and it's how they interact with each other and how they're finding their way in this, in this new life that they're making for themselves in London. And one man comes from a very troubled background where it seems like he's lost most of his family. Another is in a arranged marriage with this woman who seems to be very devout. And I'm just starting to get to know some of her story and it seems like he's a little bit more interested in her than she is. Like she's just there for, they have made an arrangement so that he can come to the country. So it's a lot about how they've all made their ways to London and how they are, how they're making it and, and what propel them to leave. I like it. Cool. All right. All right. So we were going to talk about some paperbacks, right? Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of good stuff coming out in July and August. And I, we haven't done one of these in a little while. So we've got some catching up to do. You want to kick it off? Sure. So there's one. And I, I think I went even back further to June 18th. I don't know if I mentioned it. I feel like this book has come up in passing. It's Tara Isabella Burton's Social Creature, which... I mean, I thought of it because, and probably depending on how, if you've seen the talented Mr. Ripley recently, it's almost like an updated version of that. You know, that was set in in like the 1950s and 60s in London and in Italy. And this one is set in New York and it is updated with, with what that would kind of be like if you were dealing with a phone. But I would say that the plot loosely follows it among two teenage women, you know, one who is very rich and connected and she sort of introduces her friend to lots of, lots of places. Like she's very in the know and very hip and she draws this lonely young woman into her circle and introduces her all over the place. And then their relationship kind of cools. So it's all about what happens, what happens to the, in the ebbs and flows of their friendship and, you know, what paths each of them start to take in terms, in terms of their friendship. And, and uh, yeah, it's a good one. So that came out on June 18. That sounds like a book that's very much up your alley. Social creature? Yeah. Just from the mm-hmm. fact pattern, it just, you know, it's kind of the two friends and the divergent paths. That just seems like something that 
I would have predicted you would like. So that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a page turner. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention was that the book I'm reading that I just described, The Bookish Life of Nina Hill, is uh, in paperback, and that came out on July 9th. So it's a... It's a paperback Paperback original, original, yeah. So new release in paperback. So if you're looking for a good vacation read that you want to bring something light, uh, that's a good pick because it just came out. And then... Another one that I had read before that also came out on July 9th is How to Walk Away by Catherine Center, which is the book about the woman who takes a flight with her fiance. She's, uh, I think actually it was like the day they got engaged and he's a pilot and the plane crashes and he walks away, but she is injured and becomes a paraplegic. And it's about her recovery, her relationship with him how she kind of, you know, gets on with her life. And if you've read any Catherine Center, it's, you know, it's, it's not super heavy. It sounds very depressing and it's not, it's, there's a lot of light moments to it, but it's, it's very readable and um, people love this book. And I read this, I really liked it. And she has a new book out as well. Things you save in a fire, which actually has a character overlap from how to walk away. So if you want to read How to Walk Away before you pick up things you save in a fire, it's now out on paperback. I remember asking you if it was necessary to have read. Oh, no, I don't think so at all. The woman in How to Things You Save in a Fire is a firefighter, and she was one of the paramedics or the, the rescue team that gets the main character out of the plane and during the plane crash. But I don't remember her playing much more of a role. If she did, it is probably really small. So you absolutely do not need to have read how to walk away in order to pick up things you save in a fire. Okay. So next up, I had two paperbacks that came out on July 2nd that I had read. One was give me your hand by Megan Abbott. I read it. It was pretty good. I don't think that it was, it, is the one of hers that I would say you have to read. That would probably be the one about the cheerleaders, which might be, I think it's dare me, but this one is about two female scientists who had grown up together. They went to high school. So it's another one of those troubled, (laughs) troubled female relationship books. They meet again as adults when they both want to, they're both competing to, I guess, get a prestigious fellowship with a scientist that they both have admired. She's a female scientist that they both have admired for years and years. So the friend's name is Diane. And when she shows up, the competition is immediately ratcheted. There's other people in the department, of course, who are vying for this position as well. And the fact that these two women share a secret And some things happen, you know, when they knew each other back in the day in high school becomes very much a part of this competition. The novel is about discovering the, you know, the secrets that they hold in common, how it's going to affect what it is that they are, are both trying to achieve and, and in a way how they've always been in relationship with each other because of what has happened. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Megan Abbott is one of those authors I always see in lists on shelves and pictures, Instagram, etc. But I don't know anything about her. So what, what kinds of books does she write? Megan Abbott originally, I remember the, one of the first times, I think, I don't know if I was with you. I feel like I was wandering around BEA with you. And this was early in our BEA career. And I think that her first novels, she used to write very, she used to write very noir like books and her books still have that. I mean, they're a little bit more contemporary now. She concentrates a lot on female friendships, teenagers. Sometimes she throws an adult like, um, give me your hand was probably her first novel in recent years that for the most part has focused on adults even though it does delve a lot into their relationships. They're not, I mean, the books are adult books, but for, they focus on, you know, she looks at teenage 
teenage friendships and how friendships and relationships between young women, how they have such a major, you know, they have a major impact in shaping you and, and on things that happen. And sometimes adults play a role. Like you, she sometimes she integrates adults into her novels more in some books than others. And I feel like she got more popular and more known when she made that switch because when she was writing the noir novels, I don't know. I think it was one of those lines, you know, how that people grab you and they just put you in a line and they're just like, here, you should get her book. And I Mm -hmm. think I had one of her books in that way. And the cover was just very, I don't, old fashioned, hard boiled, I want to say. So I'm not sure, you know, she could have had a readership back then. I definitely was not going to be her audience for that. Mm -hmm. But when she crossed over and I think started exploring more teenage female relationships and how that's such a crucial time. And now the adults, I think the adult novels, I feel like she is more successful or I've enjoyed the novels when she basically stays with the teenagers. Mm-hmm. This last one concentrated a lot on the, I mean, I guess it was 50, 50, their adult lives and, and the impact that, you know, things that had happened in their childhood had on them. But there was something, I don't know, there was something a little bit missing with this novel. Like I read it and enjoyed it, but it was not like, oh, that was so compelling. And I feel like she's had a couple that the, both the premises and the execution were really good. Okay. But a lot of her stuff is going to be getting, I think is going to be, is going to be developed for television. It's like at the moment for that. Okay, so tell me also the deal with Colleen Hoover. I don't know who she is. She wrote Verity. Oh, I have that book on my shelf and I haven't read it yet, I think. But yes, Verity, I haven't read it yet. I mean, people go nuts over that book online and I just, I don't know anything about it. I think I bought it because people had been going nuts on it and (laughs) I was curious and just haven't read it yet. All right, you need to read it and report back. It's on my list. Um, I've I've heard warnings about it for pregnant women. Like if you're pregnant or have, have kids, um, I think that there may be something about, you know, that people are using as this is a trigger. Like if, if you have small Mm. children or if you're pregnant, you may be uncomfortable with this. You may be fine with it. So I don't know. Got it. All right. Well, moving on to more paperbacks. Oh, um, my other book that came oh, out yes. on July 7, A Double Life by Flynn Berry, which was set in England. It is about this English lord who marries someone who, I guess it's the proverbial, she was from the wrong side of the tracks. Their relationship ended in tragedy. In fact, it ended in her death and in the death of their nanny. And the story is about his adult female daughter And, you know, the path that she has taken in being the child of a celebrated murderer who was never convicted. You know, he was wealthy, his friends hid him, and then he basically just disappeared. And she, there were some name changes involved, but it's all about how this crime has affected her life. And it's based on the real life, like, I think I just mentioned the real, the real man's name was Lord Lucan in, in London. And he was like, he was one of the first, or he was the first English Lord who ever was actually arrested or accused of a crime. Cause I guess there, that's a big deal. And that just does not happen, but he disappeared for many years. Like there's been sightings about him. I did a little interview with Flynn Berry and I cannot remember like it might be on the readerly homepage or it's on my site just about how she got interested in this particular story. And, you know, I guess it's something it's always, it's pops up in the news there because, you know, people have these sightings of him and, and nothing was ever resolved. Like he was never brought to justice because he's never been, been caught. So this is kind of the, the speculation on what has happened to, what happens to in the lives of his adult children, especially his daughter. And she starts getting like mysterious clues that 
make her rethink the case, like do some investigating of her own and, and reach out to some of her dad's friends, of course, in disguise, because no one's seen her since she's a child. And she starts developing some of those relationships so that she can get the scoop on what happens to her mom. Hmm. Okay. So what have you got? Um, so July the 16th, uh, Vox came out in paperback and I talked a lot about Vox last year when I read it in, well, when it was out in hardcover, this is the book of this sort of dystopian feminist dystopian fiction about a world in which abortions have been, oh no, sorry, this is, that's the wrong book. I was thinking of, I was thinking of the other one whose name is now escaping me. Vox is the book, is the book about an also dystopian feminist book about a world in which women are silenced to a hundred words a day and how they are not allowed to have jobs and they're not allowed to go to school. And they're basically stripped of all of their power to communicate and learn and affect the world. And I thought it was an interesting premise. It turned very thrillery uh, at the end, which I wasn't crazy about. I didn't think it was necessarily the right fit for the book. And I thought that I had found the kind of more theoretical discussion more interesting than the thriller part. But um, this book got a lot of attention when it came out. It's now in paperback. So if if it was something that intrigued you when you first heard about it, but you didn't want to bite the bullet on it. Maybe now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> What's that one I th- was thinking of instead? The red. Uh, I'm just blanking on it. It's the one about abortion, that abortion has been outlawed and takes place in the Pacific Northwest. I'll think of it. Yeah, I think I vaguely know what you mean, and it it just it's just not gelling. I'll find it. Red clocks. Lenny Zumas, Red clocks. Yeah. Oh, okay. I read. Did you ever get your books. Did you ever get your book club to read that? No, I weren't don't you think trying? So. Weren't you pushing for them? To, I think I guess I think it I was one that you were like, campaigning for, and they just never yes. chose it. I chose it. I, I pushed it like three times in a row. Oh, I, I made three suggestions for my book club for next time. So I want to ask you about those when we finish this, which one you would pick of the three that I put in front of them. Yeah, these I read this around the time that I read Vox. They, so that's why I confused them because they were both like, you know, dystopian feminist books that came out around the same time. Of the two, I would probably recommend Red Clocks over Vox. Oh, and they so, rhyme. did you like Red Clocks? I liked it better. Or did they get thrillery too? It sounds like you're, it's not a ringing. No, I liked Red Clocks. It did get more thrillery than I probably would have wanted. Uh, but Red Clocks was interesting because it was told through a couple of different perspectives. There was like a young woman, a high school student who gets pregnant. Then there's a woman who's trying to get pregnant. A single woman is trying to get pregnant and she can't. And she's coming up against this deadline where anyone who wants to get fertility treatments can't unless they're married. So it, um, the juxtaposition of those two, then you have this woman who kind of lives out in the forest and is like a medicine woman. So she plays a role. She's connected to this because she can induce abortions through herbs. And uh, I, I liked it because there were just a lot of perspectives. Oh, and then there was also a mom who had kids but was unhappy and having an affair. So you've got, like, all these different perspectives on motherhood and being female and what that means and how the kind of oppression of this very conservative government has affected them all. So I, I liked that one better. Vox, I do th- – again, I think Vox had an interesting – premise in very similar which is this sort of male dominated like silencing of women and taking away their freedoms but it, it the thriller aspect of it was what really kind of did it in for me so kind of like our last book club book yeah the farm yep yeah like it starts out well but then when it it's like a thriller. i don't know yeah i don't know if like the author doesn't know what to do or doesn't trust that the book is entertaining itself on its own with 
I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain like where, what makes it turn, but there's just something that does for sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Vox, July 16th. And then another one that came out July 16th that I also didn't love, but read and you read as well is Baby Teeth. Mm-hmm. That um, is newly out in paperback. Baby Teeth is the book about the possessed uh, daughter who's torturing her mother and making her miserable and and not um, letting on to the father that she is evil. <laughs> and She's not letting on to the father that she can speak. <laughs> yes, right. She pretends she can't <laughs> she's speak. She's mute. And, yeah, she's mute selectively. She's mute with her mother. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of... Oh, no, she's mute with her father, I guess. Well, she's mute with both of them, but she communicates to the mother. Right, then she starts, like, talking in voices to the mother, and it's... It was, you know, it was popcorn. It was evil popcorn. I don't know. I just felt like that book had something interesting, the underlying implications for marriage and loving your husband more than you love your child. Like I, I feel like that lady went through it. Yeah. Or at least wanting to not wanting to let your relationship with your child affect your relationship with your spouse. Right. With your, with your co-parent. Yeah. I think that's right. And that's the part that was interesting. Um, but I don't know. In the end, I sort of got to the end of it. I was like, what was the point of that? Like, I mean, I was like, you know, turning the pages and it was entertaining and disturbing and <laughs> that upsetting. That was an awful, awful book. And I told you that. You did. It's like there were some parts of it, especially when they are juxtaposing what's going on with her with the fact that she has like this serious stomach illness or something mm-hmm. going on that is described in great detail that there's basically a gaping hole or something in this woman's stomach. Oh yeah. That she has all kinds of like Crohn's and digestive issues and yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're right. You warned me against that book and I still read it and I didn't love it. <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah, it, was just, it was just so graphic, I think, which was why it was so hard, hard for me to read, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So the rest of the ones I have, at least three of them, I know you've read and I have not read any of the, these four and three of them I know you have read. So I don't know if you want to talk about them or if you want me to just tee them up for you and then you can weigh in because you have way more to say about them than I do. So they're ones that I've read? Yeah. Okay. The one one is the two Lila Bennetts that ca- came out July twenty third, oh, which I loved, which you loved, and which I have, and which I sent to you in print, so you now have it in print. Um, and Nicole gives that one two thumbs up. Yes, well, I guess, or I guess one thumb up because it's only you. Well, I'll give two thumbs up. I'll give one per author. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, right, because it's written by two. Yes. So that comes out that came out already and that you want to explain quickly what that's about. I know we've talked about that on the show before. You want to give it Yeah, a we've talked about it a bunch. It's about this woman who has a bit of a sliding doors episode going on. The novel opens and she's locked in a room. She's a defense attorney. She has just gotten off, you know, like some awful person. And I think she's at the point in her life where she is ready to look at choices. She's having an affair with someone in her office. Her marriage is in trouble. You know, does she love her husband? Does she want to make it work? And in one life, I think she starts to make steps towards figuring her life out. And in the other life, she is actually, she's been abducted and she doesn't know who, but someone has has vengeance in their heart for her. And it's questionable whether she will make it out alive, but she's definitely trying to figure out who has held her and if it's possible for her to make amends or make an escape. All right. Well, that, so what were the others? The other ones, a ladder to the sky. Oh, I didn't actually read that John Boyne. Oh, I thought you did. Maybe it was I the really other one. I really wanted to read, read it. it. Yes, it was the, it was, um, it was the other one. I can't think of the name right now. Um, yeah, I love right, John I Boyne. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I want to read this. Well, now you can get it in paperback. 
and then Meet Me at the Museum. That was another one that, that I picked up at Book Expo last year, and I'm pretty sure you read it. I did. It, it's an epistolary novel about this woman who is looking for a museum artifact that she saw with friends when she was a very little girl. And I think she writes a letter to a, the scientist. She's just basically at a turning point in her life. And she reaches out because she has questions about this this man, like this primitive man that was found, I think, in somewhere in Scandinavia. And she has questions about his life that re- relate to her own, except for, of course, the scientist was quite, you know, he was older when she was a young girl and he's passed on. But his, the curator at the mag- at the museum where this artifact is held writes her back and they begin a correspondence that lasts over years and you know, so it's just about how they open up to each other and what happens when there is a break in their correspondence. So it's a little bit of a mystery. You wonder whether they will meet, like how is their relationship developing? What is it developing into each other? And the conversations that they have, which are first very scientific and just based in fact and discussing the history of this artifact, how it branches out into them opening and developing from you know, what have been closed lives. So it's a really good story, really intricate. It is on the slower side. So it's not, it's not a page turner in that sense. And the letters are quite like, they're quite dense or intricate. So it's, it's, it's a slower, like lovely, just slower story. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. The only one I had noted was one that I picked up at Book Expo last year, never read, but I've heard great things about it called Virgil Wander. Did you ever read that one? No. Was that Leaf Anger? Yes. Yep. So I don't know much about it other than that people love it. And I remember it was sold. I think I went to an indie book. Yeah, I was there with that panel. Right. And um, isn't it a sequel? I thought this was like the sequel to this novel called Peace Like a River or something that had been out seven or eight years before. And I think people had just been clamoring for either a sequel to that story or something else in that universe. And I thought that that, that this book was that. Oh, I don't know. It might be. Which made it less appealing to me because like I can't invest in two books. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. That's all the paperbacks I have. Do you have any more that I didn't mention? I have a couple more. I'm going to mention them really briefly because I'm sure I've talked about them a lot. And if I haven't, I feel like they are covered all over the place. One was My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite. The other is The Witch Elm by Tana French. Both I really loved. Um, the Incendiaries, which I talked about recently by R.O. Kwan, which was one of my best books of 2018, I believe. Like, I really enjoyed the story. It is... A bit intricate. It takes, it's one of those, you know, there's things going on in this novel that make it slow. It's told from a bunch of different perspectives and you have to, you know, what, what is happening unfolds with the story. So it's not one of those, if you're looking for a straightforward plot, then it's not one that I recommend, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was so good. Um, And then just two more that I will mention briefly. The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker, which was the retelling sort of of Helen of Troy and how Briseis and Patroclus and Hercules were involved in that from the female perspective of what might have actually happened. That's coming out at the end of August. And then there's this book that I read that was time travel called Here and Now and Then by Mike Chen. And that was oh, the one yeah, that was yeah, taking yeah. place in San Francisco. Right. And he had been stranded there and started a life. And then he's retrieved by his his government agency from the future. And I guess it's only been a few months there. But yeah, he's built this entire life in San Francisco and just how he navigates navigates that change and what happens when his family back in San Francisco is threatened. So lots I've seen of good that stuff. around. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Lots of good stuff. All so right. We'll give another update. There's there's a few more that I still, that I have yet to mention, but we can't mention it all because we have to get to our book club. 
Yes. You do. So this is the part where if you have not read Trust Exercise and you want to read Trust Exercise, that you should turn us off, sadly. <laughs> well, before you do that, I mean, Gail, why don't you give the setup? You can at least non-spoilery tell everyone what you think it was about. Ah, oh, boy. It's hard to say what it's about without spoiling it. So when Trust Exercise opens, we are in the 80s. Was it the 80s, 90s? We are in an unnamed city, and we are at a performing arts high school. And the main character is a woman named Sarah who gets involved sort of at the end of her freshman year with another classmate named David. And they they kind of get involved during a trust exercise in one of their drama classes or acting classes. They stay in touch over the summer and then school resumes and through a series of kind of missteps and miscommunications, they basically break up. And the first part of the book tracks what happens to them over the course of the next couple of years and more Sarah than David and about her life in high school and her friends and what's going on. And you kind of get this set up and follow these characters. And then about halfway through the book, the author makes a bit of a shift. And I think that's where I would say, if you're, if you haven't read the book yet, maybe turn us off because we're going to get, get, we're going to start to get into spoilers this way. So I'm going to give you a pause. Thank you so much for listening. It was great to have you. <laughs> Catch us next week and we will not have any spoilers. And uh, happy reading. Okay. So for those of you who are sticking around. Um, so the second half you opens with a different perspective. And, it, and it's told with a different tone. It's sort of more, a little less literary and a little more kind of matter of fact. And you get to the perspective of um, somebody else, a character from the first half, who really played more of a bit role in the first half, but it turns out actually played a much bigger role in Sarah's life. Than we thought. Dun, dun, dun. Right. So, And as it turns out, so the first part of the novel was basically Sarah's fictionalized version of what happened of some experiences that happen in high school with thinly veiled characters from her life. And not everyone has played the same role. Sarah assigns them different roles in her telling. And then the second part is told from her friend, Karen, who is a, as Gail mentioned, is a minor character in Sarah's novel of the first half, but who Karen says She's actually this other character, Joelle, that Sarah had an uh, an intense relationship with. Right. Right. So when I say it's artistic and the book is reflecting on itself and what it means to be a writer and to write a novel and how we interpret ex- experiences to ourselves, because it's really interesting the thoughts that Karen has about Sarah and what she's telling. And even Sarah, I mean, not Sarah, Karen's reliability (laughs) Mm -hmm. is in question throughout this entire novel. Like we know that she's in therapy and she's always doing these exercises with herself and projections and trying to figure out what it is that she really means to the point that I think it's a little bit muddied what role people played. Mm hmm. Karen, would you agree? Yeah, I would. And Karen and Karen slash Joel is angry at Sarah for things for that happened she, for the way she treated her in high school and the way she portrays their friendship, the way she portrayed, but she's also angry at her for things that happened in high school. Like she's been mad at her all these yes. years. So that when, she, when Sarah writes this book about what happens, so maybe we didn't mention that. So when the second half opens, Karen is waiting for Sarah at a bookstore where Sarah's doing a reading and she's reading from her latest book or maybe it was her first book. I can't remember. And the book is a be- the book is basically the first half of this book. So she's now published this as a book. And, um, 
Although not quite because, well, no, I guess it is. And it's a published book, but then we discover that Karen has not, well, Karen has read the book, but David, and we're, we're, it's explained to us that these are not their real names. Right. And they're fictional versions of some things that have happened. So David has not read the book and he is this handsome, charismatic freshman that goes on to date seniors and he does quite well for himself it seems like at the expense of Karen and the teacher he was kind of interesting because I really was not sure what his story was by the end Mm -hmm. and who tells the last part of the book now I know Gail you had said that you were going to reread that last bit did that enlighten you further onto who like what the identity whose identity Mr. Kingsley had it's funny, I never reread it. Um, okay. <laughs> You're like, no. No. So she, so this is total spoilers. This is the, like literally the last 10, 15 pages of the book. So the last part, the narration then shifts to another young woman who is, or at least it becomes about another young woman who it turns out is a, the daughter of Joelle slash Karen, who was given up for adoption and whose father was this British man who was a visiting professor at the time, basically blew off Karen after she had come flown all the way to England to see him. But as it turns out, she was pregnant already with his baby. So who is it that she goes to see in the end? Is it Kingsley? Like the man known as Kingsley, the man known as the professor from the beginning. Uh, I, yes, I thought that that was him, but it seems like in Sarah's book called Trust Exercise, so both the first and the second part of the book, from both Sarah and Karen's perspective, were labeled as trust exercises, which is an interesting thing because, you know, I think it too relates to the audience. How much do you... It means Karen tells you that she's working through therapy and she has different ways of seeing things that she doesn't know is accurate and everything. She has such a very detached character that she's always saying things like, you know, I analyze everything so much and maybe this is a way that I looked at it because of this, that, and the other. So whether how fully you trust her like this whole book is a trust exercise and how fully you trust anyone's version of events. Mm-hmm. And then Karen says that Sarah's version of events is fictionalized, but she also makes the point that trust exercise that we read the first part, which is the novel is only half the story. So we really don't see how Sarah wraps it up and how these characters change or grow or what conclusions that she's drawing because our view into that life stops abruptly mm-hmm. and Karen's relationship with her mother is very troubled. And the relationship that Sarah has with Karen's mother, even though Karen is sort of Joel, I don't know. It's confusing. <laughs> the book is very, <laughs> as confusing. I talk about this, I'm just like, Hmm. So yeah, she meets Karen's mother at the end, but if Karen was not Karen, but Joelle, then was it some other mother? You know, was it some other relationship that we were supposed to be looking at that was so problematic? Because the mother in Sarah's version of the book in the beginning really takes care of Sarah at a crucial, at a crucial moment for her. Right. Sort of the plot machinations and ambiguities aside, I just didn't, and I get, I sort of get what you're saying. And I think that you've done a nice job of sort of guessing at what the author was trying to do here, which is this whole notion of trust and trusting a narrator or trusting a version of a story and all of that. I just didn't actually like reading this book that much. Like <laughs> it's, it's not that long. It was 260 pages. Pa- yeah. And I found it like, I found it hard to get through. I just, I was not compelled to go back to the pages. I was not engrossed. It was like, it was a chore. I mean, I read it because we read it for book club and we, you know, had a deadline of when we were going to talk about it. And that's what propelled me through. It was not because 
I was like, I've got to get back to this book and find out what happened. I think it Did was. Did you a, discuss it with your book club yet? No, Monday. Mm. So I'll, on Monday, I'll get some more perspectives on it. And, you know, it's the kind of book that I feel like wins awards and gets amazing reviews and ends up on top 10 lists from like print reviewers. But I don't know if it's like, uh, I, for me, it was not like a, a great, enjoyable read. And I, and I don't, I don't think that I necessarily shy away from challenging reads or serious literary fiction. Like I, I, I can think of pl- plenty of literary fiction that I've really enjoyed that I've wanted to get back to and has not felt like a chore. Oh, Gail, you don't have to show us your literary fiction credentials. (laughs) It's okay if you didn't. I mean, I think that we taught, discussed plenty of it on the show. I just think this one for me, just like, just, I don't know. Didn't really left you cold. Yeah. Left me cold. Well, it's a very intellectual book. I think my, I get what you say. It's not like it's a fun read. It, And I think I approached it was, like I said, okay, so she's approaching this. It became very, very clear right away that she's approaching this with there is an artifice here. And this is, this is, this is A-R-T. You know, even in the beginning, Mr. Kingsley is talking about the difference between theater and theater and how it's really spelled T-R-E mm-hmm. at the end as opposed to E-R. It is, it's just very like, okay, we're talking about, this is going to be structured in such a way that you have to think about it or whatever. And so it was more like an, well, it was more like an exercise for me, more like, I think I said to you, you told me at one point, like we were texting about this and you said, I'm not enjoying it. And I said something like, I'm just curious to, you know, I was curious to see where it was going to go. And I think it did go somewhere very interesting, especially she didn't write it for this moment, but to reading it from the backdrop of reading three women, which is about, you know, one of the stories heavily features a woman who has been involved with her teacher at 16 and the ramifications of how that affected her life, how that affected his life when she decided, you know, to, to say that the act perpetrated upon her when she was a 16 year old and he was in his, in his late twenties and with a family was a crime. And there are elements of that in this book with why Karen is so angry because she feel like she feels like Sarah did not reach out to her or know what was going on. But I also feel like from Sarah's perspective, she was taken advantage of by an older male student, like as a part of the novel, two people, a a teacher, a student who has graduated um, several years ahead of the class that is visiting with the teacher. And what are their names? Like um, Martin and. Oh yeah. Gail's like, (laughs) what? I don't know. They escaped uh, me. Uh, yeah, I know. The other but one. they're both involved with older men. Martin is much older. And the way Sarah describes him, he's gross. And she realizes that he was gross then. And just thinking about it, it just depends on how you view female sexuality and whether you assign men responsibility for what happens when they become involved with teenagers, you know, at some point, David says, we knew what we were doing. You know, you knew what you were doing. And he's saying this about, I mean, they were sophomores when they came over. So they were 16. Sexuality is burgeoning. I mean, I think if you're an older man or you're older, you have an advantage when you're dealing with teenagers, even if they think they know what they're doing, there's like a level of sophistication or whatever. So I kind of feel like men should always bear responsibility. I don't care what you say about getting involved with a child. They're a child. Mm-hmm. You should stay away. Martin manages to embroil himself in similar trouble in London, which is why he comes back later in the second part of Trust Exercise to stage this play where Karen has 
some sort of revenge fantasy going on that involves Sarah and it involves Martin. Why she found Sarah so culpable for her being involved with an older man, I'm not sure. I think she is... Because they were in it together. (laughs) Yeah, but Sarah kind of abandoned her. Well, I wouldn't say Sarah abandoned her, but Sarah was kind of cold to her and certainly wasn't there for her when she needed her. Granted, she didn't tell her, but like, I think... You know, the, and then the fact that when they when she returned to school after having given up the baby and all of that, the way they were just so distant from each other, you know, she just obviously felt let, very let down by Sarah. Right. Yeah, I guess I'm sort of like a little perplexed at why this book has gotten the response that it has. It, it just didn't, it didn't hit me as as amazing as as I had expected it to be maybe Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know I thought the premise was interesting I don't think I had any expectations of it Mm -hmm. that it was going to be I thought it sounded interesting and I wanted to read it and I remember Ron Charles being on the show at the time and he talks about so much teenage sex like the sexuality which was very frank yeah pretty frequent right they're not very erotic. It was very just tactile and like matter of fact. Yeah. And they started really young. I mean, when David and Sarah encounter each other in their freshman year, it seems like they make, she makes the point that they are each very experienced. And Sarah has been with much older men, which David is, is jealous of. Mm-hmm. So there is this element of, you know, they were always involved with older, older men and, or having sex with lots of different people. And, you know, Mr. Kingsley is this manipulative character who is usually taking students aside. He plays favorites. He puts, he implants little ideas in their heads that just influence the novel as it goes along. And of course, there is this element of just miscommunication you know david go david is really into the relationship initially and i think that sarah was sort of it for him he wanted to claim her as his own he comes bearing a gift which she doesn't think it's the right moment for her to take and then we're off to the races in terms of them really never finding their way back to each other yeah so i think interesting i I think i'm gonna finish with this comment i have a feeling with this book i'm going Mm -hmm. to like it more as time goes on right as i get more distance from the actual experience of reading it and i start to really like think more about about, the issues yeah i think about what she constructed i think for me what i'm most impressed by i guess is her is just the construction of the book that she's really written kind of almost two different books but but there are a lot of commonality between them, commonality of plot and fact. And I think I'm going to appreciate over time the artistic achievement of that. I, you know, it definitely took me a while to get into, but I enjoyed the experience after I had experienced everything. Yeah. If I had not, if we were not reading it for book club, I don't know that it would have held my attention long enough to get to the point where it's like, oh, she's doing something really interesting here, and I'm invested in in the outcome of it. Well, I'm glad we read it. It was on our list. And um, next time, we're going to do The Travelers by Regina Porter. I'm so excited for that. I'm just enjoying reading it so much, even though something heartbreaking happened in it. I was like, oh, I'm so sad. No, no. Okay. I'll share more about that. At right, our well, next book club. Um, oh, and the three books that I recommended for my in real life book club today. As of no okay. one, no one has weighed in yet, but I, maybe by Monday we'll make our decision. I recommended the Last Romantics. I recommended the Mars Room, and I recommended a Nearly Normal Family. All very different from each other. Mm-hmm. You've read you've read Last Romantics or not? I can't remember. I haven't read any of them. Oh, you haven't? Okay. A nearly normal room. I've never even heard of that. No, nearly normal family. Oh, nearly it's, normal family. I think it's about a family where the kid is kid is uh, accused of a murder, and so the question is like, 
how much, how, to what lengths will they go to to protect their child? Oh, yeah. I, I recognize this cover. Yeah, Gail and, with the murder books lately. <laughs> the Mars Room is about a woman's prison. Right. And The Last Romantics is about a family, family drama. Heard mixed things about that. I would probably do a near, well, I don't know if I would do a nearly normal family. Maybe. It would be between a nearly normal family and The Last Romantics for me. I'm worried that The Last Romantics is going to be too much too like, late. well, no, I'm worried it'll be too much like trust exercise for some reason. Oh. I don't mm. know. Well, Gail, you'll report back on what you choose. Yes. I will. And um, we will get back in the swing and be back on, on track. I have a vacation coming up, so I'm going to need lots of guidance on what I'm bringing. And we will, yes, we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.